time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov. program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our roundtable regulars. Our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Hi, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And last but not least, joining our roundtable this week, the 2018 Green Party nominee for governor of Michigan, Jennifer Curlin. Jennifer, welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me, Tom. I think the last time, did we do this by phone the last time or were we in the studio? We did. It was like right kind of in the beginning of quarantine. Ah. Well, hopefully we're we're a little better at it now. Um, we always start out with a few quotes, and, and we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Mayor Neely's um, State of the City address last night coming up in a little while, uh, plus a number of other things. There's been, there's been a lot. I don't even know if we'll get to everything today. But uh, we'll start out with a few quotes. We always start with finish the quote, which is where I ask how you would finish this quote. A healthy democracy requires a decent society. It requires that we are what? 
How, how would you finish this quote? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I was going to say, the working even working together, re- re- respecting each other, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's on the right track. Just, Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, I just said uh, thoughtful and involved in the process. Well, here's, here's the actual quote. A healthy democracy requires a decent society. It requires that we are honorable, generous, tolerant, and respectful. Yes. Oh, now, who said that? Charles W. Pickering. Oh. An American judge. Yeah. I think he served uh, on uh, a couple of federal benches in his uh, career. But uh, here's uh, an appropriate quote of the week, having said all that just now. Hate and violence have no place in Michigan. Mm. Secretary of State Benson? You would think. You would think, but it was actually... (laughs) It was actually Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She She blasted a series of threats against Michigan elected officials on Monday saying it is time to put the election behind us. Whitmer, citing racist voicemail threats directed at State Representative Cynthia Johnson, a Democrat from Detroit, the demonstration by armed protesters outside the Detroit home of Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, and threats directed at House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, um, and all such acts, she said, are not acceptable. But we know that they're available, and that's what people do. People, well, uh, you know, I, it's difficult to understand how people can express so much hate. Well, that was, that was my I question. Even on both Democrats and the Republican side. That's scary. And, and that's my... That's my question, uh, everybody, is how long into a new administration will the vitriol subside, or will it? You know, I think one I big mean, issue is the kind of role Donald Trump will play. Will he, be, will he kind of be simply an ex-president, or is he going to kind of form a, a, gover- a shadow government and, and be, uh, be tweeting all the time about... Uh, how terrible Biden is and everything else. I mean, it, it, I think Trump's going to have a major role to play in, in whether he encourages that kind of thing or, or discourages it. And Biden has to check himself, too. He's getting a little, you know, on the point where he's... They both need to stop. Is, is he starting to fight back a little bit? <laughs> yes, he's fighting back. That's what well, I told you. Know, you. He, you be cautious. Go ahead, Jennifer. We got to separate some of these things, right? Like it, it is okay for people to protest outside of Jocelyn Benson's house because she is a public official, and peaceful protest is something that is protected in our country. But going to her house with guns <coughs> is not okay, right? Like it, I think it's important to separate. Like it's okay to peacefully protest. It's not okay to show up to the Secretary <coughs> of State's house with guns and threaten her home and her family. Um, and it's okay to do things like question the results of an election, um, and peacefully protest such thing, but it's not okay to send racist threats 
to state legislators, right? Like there's there's got to be a distinction between like what's happening and what's what's truly okay versus like where where that line is. And I think we don't do a good enough job in the United States of drawing that line between there's free speech and then there's hate speech. Um, because within the United States, you know, we don't have hate speech laws truly. Um, but when we look at things like, you know, what's going on and how long is this going, going to go on, you know, people protesting the election, um, you know, I think until we really truly have like a fully transparent election process, um, there's always going to be protests of the election. There's always going to be challenges to what happens in an election. And when we look at, you know, Biden versus, like, is Trump going to continue to, you know, rally up his base? I mean, absolutely. There is a black woman who is now going to be our vice president. And so the racism that was around during Obama that Trump stirred up into his base is not going to go away. Well, I don't think that Trump's Stirred it up, stirred it up. But it's always been there, and yes. and um, many people just did didn't recognize <laughs> it. Yeah, and and uh, what what we've seen during the Trump administration is that the rise of the black person and the people of color in the United States have been steadily progressive without the advent of public legislation from Congress. Uh, and, it's, and I'm concerned that it works. Let the people and the businesses do that, not government regulations or government acts, because I, I fear that what Joe Biden is going to do is, is kind of convert the stuff into public policy through rules and regulations. And it's I mean, going to make someone else. And rules and protection against racism. Don't you think black people have a no, right to live without I, racial no, harassment? No, it's it's doing okay right now. No, black did people you know? look people like are, they're. Hang on, let me finish my point. Let, let me finish my point, please. Black people and people of color look like they are where they need to be in society. You look at. Uh, stock market, you look at corporations, you look at public policy positions, they're doing well. Where they're not doing well is in schools. We're not teaching uh, our kids to emulate the, the people that they see that look successful. There are many, many successful black Americans on TV. And it shows that this was not done by Donald Trump. It was done by the American people and it was done by who allowed this to happen. Well, let me and let, let me businesses. let me ask this, and and Paul, I'm I'm interested in in your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I was going to throw in his comments. Who here? Should, Go ahead. Should American um, should civics classes be teaching how to file grievance? That might not be a bad. In fact, we should. I'm going to make kind of add to that, Tom. I, I would I would go further and say we ought to have civics classes. You know, one one hot button issue with <laughs> my college some years ago was was the, the the getting rid of the requirement for an American government class. That was a very divisive issue at the time. So yeah, no, I, I think in general uh, we ought to have those kind of things available, just so people know how this whole system works. Um, you know, the other thought I was going to I was going to question I was going to toss out is: Do you see 
the whole Donald Trump movement, in terms of what Henry's been saying about the rise of African Americans, you see that as a backlash against that today in the same way that George Wallace was kind of a backlash against the civil rights movement of the 1960s. I, mean, I, I see somehow the same sorts of forces where you have movement in one direction and then a backlash against it as you know part of the population response. And I, in some ways, I see Trump as almost a a reincarnation of the George Wallace idea after after the civil rights movement of the sixties. Well, I think yeah. sort of what you guys are missing here is that our country, for hundreds of years since before we were founded as a country, has been subjugating and harming people of color, and our policies that and our laws that our country has made have been consistently created to continue to subjugate and oppress people of color. And so that's still happening today. We still have issues affecting um, redlining (laughs) and underfunding public schools and these kinds of things. And this is an overarching problem, and it's not a right or a left problem. It is a Democrat and Republican problem because they both have been upholding these institutions and these ideas and white supremacy across our country in policies specifically to ensure that people of color do not have rights. It's only in the past maybe 10 years that capitalism has seen, oh, well, maybe if we make like one black person, you know, you know, put them on our board or make one black person the face of our company, oh, that's going to boost our sales because, you know, now people have, you know, kind of more uh, buying power as a consumer, and now corporations have to have quote unquote diversity, but that hasn't translated into actual real policies that actually uplift people of color. Well, uh, Jennifer, the point that that Henry makes frequently is that there are opportunities for blacks today that never ever existed before, and in and it does. Um, it, it does suggest that this is a very complicated, um, multifaceted issue where we live in a country where a black man can become president, a black woman can become vice president, mm-hmm. and yet we still see George Floyd choked to death on national TV. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... That's what I'm saying, right? The policies in our country they still continue to subjugate people of color, um, but it's still upheld, right? Small Harris, when she was Attorney General in California, made some very questionable decisions that harmed people of color. Um, you know, so it's not even like having someone who is a person of color as you know as head of CEO of an organization could have changed things. It's really an overarching like. Policies and part of the problem is that people in our country don't really understand the history of slavery and how that has affected our country till today, right? Like, yes, they are now. Jennifer, Jennifer, excuse me, excuse me, Henry. Jennifer, you're breaking up a little bit. Are you using a speakerphone or a Bluetooth or something? Oh, I am on my speakerphone. I can take you guys off. Let's yeah, let's see. I think that I think that'll make you sound a lot better. Okay, okay go ahead, Henry. I'm sorry. 
Well, oh, hey, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program takes a look back at 2020, Monday and Tuesday, December 28th and 9th, with a two-part special called 2020 Highlights, Not Just COVID. Here, special guests provide commentary and analysis about the Mueller report, impeachment, the State of the Union, State of the State, virtual political conventions and debates, plus civil unrest, and Sheriff Chris Swanson's response to local demonstrations, and a whole lot more. Listen December 28th and 9th because there was more to 2020 than COVID-19. Stream the show from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Or tune in on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. both nights. That's 2020 highlights, not just COVID, December 28th and 9th on the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, the 2018 Green Party nominee for governor, Jennifer Curland. And Henry, I did it to you again. I wasn't paying attention to the time. Well, that's all right. You were about to to say something, and 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 the break just popped in. Yes. I I wanted to clarify a point. Many times I read... And people all over the country, politicians, Democrats, Republicans, black, whites, everybody say this. For 400 years, black people have been mistreated and, uh, by, uh, the, the <clears throat> by whites. But it wasn't 400 years. It was up until 1865, we were subjects. We were properties. Nobody. And then after 1865 and the 14th Amendment, we became people with rights. And we have been then mistreated only 155 years. We can't go back beyond that. We can't hold the people credible and accountable. But from 1865 to now, we can hold those people accountable. But just to set it right, because we're making visions for our kids and many of those kids are white kids and they have to see the thing exactly as it is not muddled by by uh faulty information but by the truth uh and 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 it will enable black children to move away from the idea of slavery we left slavery in 1865 long time ago we're no longer bound by that concept. We need to move on. Things have changed. And Americans in this country need to help us move that along. And, and we're not just fighting the issues of today, but I had for 25 years spoken 
of the paradigm shift by 2050 when white Americans will no longer be the arithmetic and political majority of this country. And what we are seeing now, this thing come together, we, we need to have more discussion about what we're doing and where we go. And we need to encourage those kind of discussions. And we're always going to have conflict between people if they're human beings because that's the nature of man. That's uh, the nature of human beings. So uh, we can get past this if we quit reminding people that they were slaves. You know, and uh, whites have been slaves. Jews, everybody's been slaves. So we need to move away from that. And now is our time to help move away. Other cultures moved away from it. Now we need to move away from it. We are presidents of the country. We're <coughs> vice presidents. We've made lots of progress in the last, uh, since 1900. Lots of progress. We need to work and on see, that. And see, I would directly disagree with you on having to, like, move away from it. Um, like, I think that what we need to do as a country is look at Germany and Germany's response to the Holocaust. Because Germany did not say, okay, that happened, you know, that sucks, we're going to pay reparations, and then we're going to move on. What they did is they said, yes, and we're going to learn from our history, and we're going to acknowledge our history on a daily basis. Like, there are plaques across Berlin um, with names of Jews whose homes are taken away from them. Um, you know, Germany has done a really amazing job of, of acknowledging their history of genocide. And the United States, when we talk about slavery, like we have to talk about it in the form of, of genocide. Slavery is genocide. And we perpetuated genocide on not just um, Africans. We also perpetuated genocide on Native Americans in our country. And so until we have full acknowledgement of that, and we have things across our country like markers where lynchings happened where we confront this history on a regular basis and it becomes part of our national knowledge that this is part of our country and this is how we have moved on. From, you can't move on from something until you confront it and you acknowledge it. And we have not acknowledged what we have done in our past. Well, let me, let me yeah, uh, I, I see if I can, um, uh, uh, Paul, I'll give you a chance in, in a moment. Um, all right. Because I want to, I want to move on, but I will give uh, Paul a chance to to weigh in here. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that I think, and and forgive me, Henry, if I'm interpreting you incorrectly, but but I think no, go ahead. I think Henry is trying to say, let's stop relitigating slavery and talk just about those problems that have been happening since slaves were freed and fixed those, you know, that, that we um, figure out a way to move forward. And, and Jennifer, I think you make a good point about, you know, acknowledging those things and uh, the, the behaviors that have happened, the lynchings and those kinds of things that have happened post-slavery. And um, I, I think maybe we're starting to do that a little bit by unrecognizing um, Civil War heroes from the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And re renaming some military bases. I did not realize 
where the names of so many of those military bases came from until the last year. <clears throat> but they were very often Confederate officers who who gave the names to a number of military bases around the country. But but if you go into a classroom today where the cultures go, black kids don't want to hear about slavery. They don't want to hear it. It's too depressing. They won't even do research work on it. So, you, you know, these are the people that's coming behind us. They want to move on. They want to find their own way because we have failed you know, at finding a way from here. You know, you know, I think Jennifer I makes a good point, though, that, that, you know, a country needs to be honest about its history. You don't need to belabor it endlessly. I mean, there are limits. <laughs> but in the final analysis, like Germany, you need to face things honestly. And and here and there, I am seeing a few of those things, interestingly enough, in the Old South with with its history, that there are monuments and museums popping up that do raise the issue in a reasonably honest sense. It's not as certainly as widespread as you see in Germany, but here and there, I see that honest facing of our history, uh, at least coming coming to fruition in this country. All and I think even, even in the worst of things, even in the worst of things, there's some things good. Yeah, I think you made a really good point specifically about, you know, it means to also when we're teaching these issues about slavery, we need to ensure that like teachers aren't re aren't traumatizing black children um, and children of color when they're hearing about this history. Like it needs to be taught in a certain way that acknowledges the trauma that hearing about these things does to children. I, I think that's a really good point. Um, let me uh, let me just put a comma there because we could end up talking about this for the entire show and i want to <laughs> thank you i, I want to move on to some other things um it, we've gotten a little off track uh but but the, this is an important conversation and it's one that we talk about a lot on armchair politics so i'm sure we'll get back to it at some point um in, <laughs> in the meantime I, I did want to take a look at, uh, and I don't know if if all of you watched um, uh, Flint Mayor uh, Sheldon Neely's first State of the City address last night. Here's a little snippet from uh, close to the end. Prayer, planning, and partnership. Together, even six feet apart, anything can be accomplished if we unite our efforts, if we unite our strength. If we unite our thinking, we can win. The state of our city is strong, and we will get stronger the better we work together. Um, what did, uh, Paul, I'm assuming that you watched it. Um, Henry, I don't know if you yeah. watched it. Jennifer, fact, I don't I've got a, I'm looking. I, I should have my, I got a, a, an article on it coming up from East Village. should be up sometime this morning online. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did watch it uh, in, in, in detail. And Jennifer, I don't know if you uh, tuned into that at all. Um, <clears throat> I, I do. Have I did not, but i I do have I do have my own personal opinion about Sheldon Neely. Interesting, and we'll get to that in a moment. But but uh, Paul, what do you think were some of the takeaways from last night's speech? Um. It was it was a, a good summary of of the accomplishments he had put together. I think one of the key things that struck me was his his, his discussion of 
both the Black Lives Matter issue and some of the fiscal, the financial challenges facing the city in time. He didn't say a lot about it, but some of the financial challenges that are almost certainly going to be a major issue for the city in the, the months and years to come, I think. Those are some of the, the, the key things. Um, I was also struck by the, uh, the the conflicting voices of, on one hand, he called for unity, but but on a number of occasions took some, some shot, shots at the previous uh, administration, which was a little bit surprising in that regard. Uh, but all in all, I thought a, a pretty... Uh, uh, competent speech and and in some ways maybe it was even easier to focus on it when it was online than when it was in an auditorium or in the the city council chambers in some ways it it i i expected it to be kind of dry because it was sheldon neely standing in the mayor's office by himself talking into the camera (laughs) And, and yeah. uh, you know, w- w- typically when we see these things, and it was different in that regard because of yeah. COVID considerations and so on. Yeah. Um, but I really expected it to be kind of dull without that, that um, big town hall atmosphere, you know, in front of the council, in yeah, the well, chambers, I, I with a the, gallery the, full the, of the people. Pre- the, the previous one, when, when, when Mayor... Uh, uh, the pre- previous mayor had done it uh, in about a year ago at the Capitol Theater. That was a huge, you know, uh, ca- almost a campaign-like event for Mary we- Mayor Weaver. It was because it too was fairly late in the year. <laughs> yeah, just before the uh, the elections, I recall. <laughs> well, you you mentioned the budget. Here's here's a little snippet of what uh, what the mayor had to say about the budget. On March second, I presented to the Flint City Council, our proposed budget for the fiscal year 2021, which began July 1st on 2020. This is a clean budget that accurately reports our revenues and expenditures, also fulfilling the requirements of a new city charter better than ever before. I look forward to working with you in the coming months on our next year's budget. It won't be easy, we know that, but through prayer, planning and partnership, we will continue to move this city forward. My commitment to you Oops, is that I would do everything in my power to make this community a better, stronger, and more vibrant place for us to live and to build for the next generation. My areas of focus, my priorities start with water, the completion of a pipe replacement, and water restoration for customers and throughout the full city of Flint. Public safety, a place where we can live and be free from fear of those around us blight reductions, to clean up our city, to make it a beautiful, vibrant place. Public education, lending our efforts and our help and our strength to our education system. We cannot divide away from the partnerships in which we are responsible for making sure our kids have a place to be educated, strongly educated, so they can take their rightful place in the world. Uh, Sorry about that. I actually uh, stuck in two sound bites there, one on uh, the budget and the other one on on his uh, overall priorities. But uh, I'll go ahead and give everybody a chance to, to react and, and weigh in here a little bit. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> and this is, you know, kind of a, a larger outreaching issue. You know, one of the reasons why Flint is in the financial state that it is is because of the KWA bonds and what the state did when they were under emergency management and added debt to the city. 
But Sheldon Neely's name is on those bonds because he was on the board of the KWA and he had all of this information and knowledge when he was on the city council and when he was a state representative. So I don't think Sheldon Neely could, even if he had the best interests of the city, I don't think he could actually do anything because he would be suing and implicating himself. Well, that's how he saw it at the time. Now, you know, I, for example, I hold, try to hold people responsible for their actions, but I don't know what else you could do. People were demanding action and in, in the city, and they wanted results, and I guess uh, how the people wanted to go was what Neely voted. Uh, we... And it's too bad that we don't have the kind of people in this community anymore that think through things before they act out in legitimate ways to help people out. But there needs to be a lot of thinking. And part of the thing that was wrong with these decisions is they had no opposing party input. So uh, they moved along and we get exactly what we asked for. And I think there's going to be a lot written in the future about the, the whole KWA process in terms of the financial ties various individuals had to that yeah. and then how that tied into the Flint water per crisis at the same time. I mean, it, it may never be written, but there's I think there's probably a lot of books and research that could be done on how that whole project uh, developed over time. One interesting thing yeah. about, the, about the KWA is... It's being litigated and criticized more in Flint, who isn't on the KWA, yeah. than it is around the rest of the county, who is. I guess what I'm trying to say here is there may be some shenanigans involved in the evolution and development of the KWA, but it's function seems to be sound now. Yeah, when I saw the earlier presentations on that, I mean, assuming the numbers were all correct, they seemed, it seemed like a very solid project. Jeff Wright uh, <coughs> did a number of yeah. presentations around, this, around the county, and as I say, assuming I those numbers Jeff were Wright. all accurate, they were, yeah, they, they, made, they made a lot of sense, and, uh, and it, it might have even made more sense if Flint became part of that in, in, in hindsight. Um, I had a, I had had many conversations with Jessica, and I, I agree with you, uh, Paul. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's hear what uh, what the mayor had to say about water. We started restoring water users 16 days before the mandate came down before the governor. I would like to say that the state of Michigan took a lead from the city of Flint. We've done good work by you, the residents as it relates to the issue of making sure you have potable water for your use in your homes. This administration understands that water is a human right. Our challenge has been trying to find ways that water is affordable to residents, making sure our water is clean for residents' consumption. We will get there. We have been restoring water services to residents, as I said. We will continue to do that process. We have used dollars to match residents that's going through hard times with our water restoration and payment assistance programs. We're doing these things. 
We're undergoing a water rate study, trying to figure out what way we can help residents afford the commodity of water. We understand water is a human right, and we will continue to push forward, to press forward, to make sure that every resident can afford water that they trust. Do you think he uh, overshot the, uh, uh, the city's uh, credit for getting people back on water? Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, he couldn't avoid the uh, water issue. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Well, and uh, I was going to say that these these state of the city and state of the state or nation speeches are always kind of a way of pumping up your accomplishments. So yeah, he probably did overstate it, but that's that's the nature of these speeches in many ways too. You know, uh, that is true. I, I think that he needed to make some statements about the water program, but he needed to put some limits on how far we're going to go so we can get the city back together. So we can, and I was really surprised that he didn't mention how important it is to make our city friendly for new businesses to come in, to create he, jobs for people, to keep, bring the wealth you know, in and I'll, leave it here so it can point, be Henry. redistributed it, among its population. Henry, that is a good point, and, and he did not address economic development at all. He did talk about public safety, uh, and, he, and he talked about roads, and he talked about trash cleanup, you know, some blight-related things. But he did not talk about economic development. I'm sure the case could be made that some of those things, uh, y you know, having uh, better public safety and, and cleaning up some of the blight in Flint would help with economic development, but he really didn't address that. But yeah, all of that consumes money. That consumes resources. We don't have the resources. We've got to find, figure out a way to bring resources in here so that we can redistribute it across the population, energize the city in a new direction so that it can become so self-sufficient, self-reliant. Uh, yeah, there, there, there were that, just yeah. a couple of lines about some new businesses. Let people in on. their body fluids, and that's what they do. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I was going to say there were there were only a couple of lines. I was I was surprised in a smaller way. There were just a couple of lines tucked in toward the end about some new businesses developing along Saginaw or Martin Luther King. But again, I think literally two or three sentences was about it. And uh, and he did mention some individual he had brought in to work on development. But as I say, one of the shortest parts of the speech, and I, you think that would have been one of the key things to focus on in terms of, Thank you. As, as, as Henry says, in terms of really throwing around the city and the city budget. <clears throat> well, I want to give, uh, we've got about a minute left till we go to break, and I want to move on to some other things, but I want to give Jennifer a, a chance to weigh in here because she made a point of saying she had some thoughts about Mayor Neely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or did you already with the KWA? Sheldon Neely and I have had a couple of consultations about his knowledge and involvement in the Flint water crisis. And I have, you know, shown him the information that I have gone through and, and confronted him on that. So, so <laughs> I wouldn't say that there's bad blood, but like, I just, I, I, I think he's culpable and I think he's just hasn't been accountable and really everything about what is still going on in Flint just breaks my heart. And the fact that all, everything has been swept under the rug, you know, the, the whole, you know, new investigation that Dana Nessel brought up 
is basically a sham because Detroit hasn't even really happened. Detroit. Well, hey, we have to. I'm sorry, we have to put a comma there, Jennifer, because we have a break. We'll be back with more. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. We want to say hello, we want to see you smile, we'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs. With songs about Osetta and his reindeer sleigh, and gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day. We're going to set you wise, we love to harmonize, and if we had our way, we'd never stop. We'll say hello, we'll see smile and we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. We'll say hello. We'll see you smile. And we'll sing some good old Christmas The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom Bodet from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the inn. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. 
There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across the desert. And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armchair Politics continues with Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and we're joined by uh, the 2018 Green Party nominee for governor, Jennifer Kurland. Um, as we uh, move on, um, I'm not sure how we, we're not going to get everything I have on my list, or Paul, that you had on your list. Um <laughs> in on uh, today's show but I do but I do want to touch on this one this was kind of interesting a group of Catholic high schools in Michigan are suing the state in federal court on claims that emergency health orders banning in-school classes and religious training are unconstitutional the Michigan Association of non-public schools an organization of 400 schools with 90,000 students filed the lawsuit Monday following an announcement by Governor Gretchen Whitmer that the Department of Health and Human Services was extending an in-place partial shutdown through December 20th due to surging coronavirus case numbers. Five Michigan restaurants and bowling alleys have been fined and in all but one case had their liquor licenses suspended after violating public health orders requiring they stop indoor service. This follows uh, multiple violations of the state's public health orders regarding uh, coronavirus mitigation, according to the Michigan Liquor Control Commission. In some cases, the establishments openly violated the public health orders. Would federal guidelines and mandates diminish the pushback against the governor and state officials' attempts to curb the rising spread of COVID-19? No. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're okay. probably right. Actually, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it might make it a little easier for for the, the, the local officials to take action, but I suspect we see a similar kind of pushback. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, this larger issue of you know having people you know sit at home and be stuck in their homes, um, and. You know, there's this overarching, you know, issues in homes of, you know, people having arguments and increases of domestic violence and child abuse, et cetera, um, you know, on like the extreme end, but just regular arguments and things like that. Tension in households has been, you know, going up when you're stuck in the house for so long. You know, I think it's kind of a this larger issue of how the entire situation has been handled across the entire board in our country is is the problem. <laughs> well, it it is a problem, and 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 I um, the reason that this caught my attention was because of the case that these uh, uh, non-public schools, these Catholic schools, made that um, after the initial shutdown, um, in order to reopen, 
schools and public schools experience this too, jump through hoops to try to uh, socially distance students in the classroom, to try, you know, putting up uh, barriers in some places. And, and, you know, they went to some expense and effort to accommodate um, a, 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 a more safety-conscious way of moving forward. And then they get shut down again and, and feel like, well, what did we go to all the effort for if we're just going to be forced to close? Yeah, I think one of the worst uh, things we've done as a country here is we've kind of, we've been so herky-jerky and gone back and forth and opening up and shutting down, opening up and shutting down, that we probably, in hindsight, would have been wiser to have simply had a serious shutdown at the beginning and stuck with it nationwide, and it probably would have worked better. You know, I'm struck, I saw some numbers the other day about the remarkable contrast between the very few number of cases and deaths in Japan compared to almost compared to Genesee County. I mean, I, I don't know the, the, the full details of what they did in Japan. but Well, uh, you know, I had a conversation. The numbers were accurate. They were dramatic. I had a conversation with Kirk Common, who is from Flint but lives in uh, Tokyo oh, yeah. and has been yeah. there for 20-plus uh, yeah, years uh, working in, in radio. He's, he's actually the public address announcer for Disney Tokyo. But uh, Kurt was saying that... that the thing about Japan, they are constitutionally prohibited from having the government close things down. Yeah, but the Yet, culture is so different. But the culture is different. If, if public health officials come out and say, you should wear masks, you should socially distance, you should probably close um, for some period of time, the people will do it. And they yeah, no, I, I, that may be the real difference. Yeah. And, and uh, Tom, you rarely see ahead. people on public transportation in Japan not wearing masks, and that goes back to yeah. what the avian flu, or maybe even back before that. Yeah, as I say, I, I saw some numbers about the number of cases and deaths in Japan. It's just dramatically fewer. As I say, it might have been even smaller than Genesee County, but very few compared to other nations around the world. New Zealand is also a really good example of really excellent uh, tracing and uh, prohibiting, you know, and wearing masks and socially distancing. Like they're, I think they're clean, clear of the virus right now. Uh, Tom, I want to ask you for a clarification. Did yeah. you say a lawsuit was brought by a, a group of students? No, no, no. Uh, high schools. Catholic schools. Catholic high yeah. schools. High school. In that's students. Those are students. Well, right? yeah, yeah. It, it's. Uh, uh, I don't know whether students have the capacity to bring a lawsuit against the state. No, no, no. This was the Michigan Association of Non-Public Schools, Henry. Oh, okay. This is the gotcha. Because yeah, I know that students can't do it. I, I didn't know who was the front runner there. I'm okay. No, yeah, yeah that's, and, and if I didn't make that clear, my apologies. No, it wasn't you. I just didn't hear it. Thank you. I do find that just so strange that people would sue to be able to be open in a pandemic, just in general. Like, that's just, 
the pandemic. You want to be open and spread disease? Like, you think that's a constitutional right or it's a religious right to spread disease? Like, it's just a weird... I don't, I don't understand how, like, they get from point A to point B of, like, how that's a good idea. <laughs> well, and, and in an ironic twist, the Michigan House has canceled session dates and committee hearings for the remainder of the week due to a staffer testing positive for COVID-19. House Speaker Lee Chatfield announced Tuesday. Uh, yesterday afternoon, Chatfield said house business on Wednesday and Thursday would be canceled due to a staff member who works with several different members and committees testing positive. Chatfield said the staffer was not involved with last week's House Oversight Committee hearing where President Donald Trump's attorney Rudy Giuliani testified for hours without a mask. Uh, Giuliani tested positive for COVID-19 a few days after his Michigan visit and is currently being treated. Um, should session cancellations and multiple cases of COVID-19 among state representatives encourage the legislature to perhaps support the governor's efforts or at least develop a plan of their own? <laughs> it would be it nice <laughs> to get people on the same page. <laughs> For once to well, finally work together on something, yeah. As I have said, and I'll say it again, that when we had the crisis with the um, funding for education, Democrats and the governor worked well together, and they solved it like that. You mean Republicans and, and, they, and the governor? Yeah, Republicans and the governor yeah. worked well together. So um, this is what we have to do here, but we got to have cool heads. You can't be criticizing one or the other because we, we're thin-skinned. So we need to tactfully do that, and maybe in small committees first, and then move them to much larger uh, to begin to work some kind of a plan to begin to work with the governor to solve these major problems like what we're facing with uh, school shutdowns and lockdowns of businesses. Well, the governor has been highly criticized for taking a very, a very tough stance on this, and and she's had nothing but pushback, including from the legislature, and it it just seems kind of ironic that you know, that that they um, fought so hard to take away her authority to close things down, and then they turn around and close down. But then <laughs> yeah. you got to understand, but then you got to understand that um, the Republican Party has a constituency, like the Democrats, they have a constituency, and the governor has to do whatever people tell her to do, or, or uh, suggest that she does. And Republicans do the same thing. So there's a big body of force behind them that's unseen. So uh, this has to be done very tactfully. And, and um, maybe... Um, but here's, uh, here's the, the well, problem that, uh, you know, I think has... Um, that Republicans face and, and that they need to address. Uh, you know, they're... Um, We've seen it in Washington with health care. You know, they want to shoot down the health care that exists, but without recommending a plan to address the issues involved. And and then we see it, you know, here in Michigan with public health. And they want to shoot down the governor's authority, but they don't want to suggest how people should behave to curb this huge surge. 
And on that note, I have to uh, take a break here for the uh, top of the hour ID. But we will continue with the second half of Armchair Politics, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jennifer Curland. And uh, we've got lots more to go, so by all means, don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Armchair Politics Part 2 will resume as soon as we, uh, as soon as we come back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 